This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Just five years ago, Willie Jackson was a talkback radio host and a media leader who lashed mainstream outlets as monocultural, including this one. That is an example of institutionalised racism in this country because they have clearly preference Pākehā culture over Māori culture. But now Willie Jackson's the minister in charge of broadcasting and the funding of Māori media as well, just as the biggest reforms in both for 30 years are rolled out, pumped up with the biggest budget boosts of public money in decades as well. Shortly, we'll hear from him. But first, we look at how angst over abortion in America was sparked by that Supreme Court decision there and then spilled over in the media here this past week. I had a lot of good food this weekend. Yeah, personally. Personally. Great weekend. Gender-wise, not stoked. <laughs> no. It's a toughie. What a crap America, one. eh? It's getting more and more like the actual Handmaid's Tale every day. Yeah. It tr- like, like, actually, actually is. is. Yeah. I think even Mar- Margaret Atwood said that. That was Fletch Vaughan and Haley on ZM last Monday morning, kicking off a show that's not usually about current affairs. Their show promises guaranteed lols and the biggest celebs, and that doesn't usually mean novelist Margaret Atwood. And after the US Supreme Court's decision of Roe versus Wade, lols were harder to come by on Monday. Good Lord. Not good. Well, there's a great, yeah, great start. Yeah, real so. good. Not, not much to say about it, is there? It's just outrageous. <laughs> But plenty of others across the media had lots to say about that US Supreme Court decision. Abortion is a medical procedure, a choice for women to make about her own body, full stop. All women everywhere in any circumstances at any time, that is how it should be. We shouldn't even be having this conversation. That was Tova O'Brien on The Tova Show on Today FM last Monday morning. Now, like her, many in the media also reckoned we shouldn't be having this conversation here because we don't have the same legal or political setup that they have in the US, let alone its religious cleavages or moral baggage. But that wasn't quite what Tova O'Brien meant, and almost every host on mainstream media offered an opinion similar to hers on abortion rights that day. And among them was the host who was next up on the same network. Why shouldn't women have the power? Uh, and it's always been uh, my very mild stance on this. I can't begin to understand the thinking uh, behind the Supreme Court. What's next? Gay marriage, gay rights, civil unions. Uh, what could they do next? Contraception? But last Monday, Duncan Garner found that many of his Today FM talkback callers did want a conversation to contradict his views. I don't go to church so much because I think the churches have, have gone a bit wrong, you know, got into religion and that sort of thing, but we believe in that Jesus died for our sins, etc., but we just try to move in the prophetic. So we've known for a couple of years that this is going to be turned back, the Roe versus Wade. That guy and other blokes phoning in to applaud the US Supreme Court rattled Duncan Garner, prompting this appeal. To women who are considering calling, uh, give it a go. 0800 I'll put you to the top of the queue. Um, after all, this is uh, about, well, certainly if you're, if you're in America, this is about you, and these are your bodies, these are your decisions, and I don't really understand under the name of God or religion that the, how, how these men get off and telling you what you should do, this entitled nature of men who say this is what you must do with your body. Who the hell are you? What bloke goes around filling their days and their time and their energy consumed by this? Go and get a life. But telling male pro-lifers to get a life turned out to be a bit of a red rag to them. I'm for the choice of the baby. Once you can well, that's give not the pro-choice. Baby the choice, 
That's not pro choice. No, that's... no, no. Well, no, hang on a minute. Once you can give the baby the choice, do you think it's going to go, kill me, mummy? I'm all good. I know you, you're a bit tight at the moment. Yeah, you know, go ahead, uh, kill me, mum. Yeah. Is that what the baby's going to say? I don't think so. Now, in the end, Duncan Garner didn't have to appeal for personal stories from women. The newsreader in his own studio, Trudy Nelson, had an emotional one of her own. Um, she's um, got pregnant, not wanting to. She came down from Whangarei to Auckland and had a backstreet abortion and passed away. So She died in a backstreet abortion in Auckland? Mm-hmm, from blood poisoning. Wow, that's pretty personal. Yeah. So my mum grew up Have you spoken about that before? I don't think you have, Not have publicly, you? no. no. <laughs> No, wow. That's uh, I mean, and this is why this is this is why this debate matters. I mean, it's why it matters to New Zealanders too, because you know, there for the grace of God, our laws are as they are. But it's not really by the grace of God that our abortion laws are as they are. And the fact that it was only in 2020 that MPs took abortion out of the Crimes Act added a domestic dimension for our media. Among the politicians here tweeting their dismay over the news from the US was Foreign Minister Nanaia Mahuta, who was rapidly reminded that she'd voted against the law change here at an early stage. And the National Party leader Chris Luxon then found himself in the headlines and the headlights having described abortion as tantamount to murder when asked about the issue when he first took over as the party's leader, and strenuously insisting that his own personal principles won't change party policy or the law if he becomes Prime Minister, didn't stop the awkward questions like this one from News Hub's Amelia Wade. What is your opinion of women who get abortions? As I said, I've got a pro-life stance. It's a very difficult and a very agonising decision. Hayden Donnell looked at how that played out in our media in Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday. That's on our webpage on the RNZ website, or it's in our podcast feed if you missed it. Now, in the end, the MP for Tamaki, Simon O'Connor, got even more attention than his party leader for just one short-lived Facebook post celebrating that Supreme Court decision. And that was still leading RNZ's news 72 hours later on Tuesday. The National MP Simon O'Connor says he stands by the content of his Facebook post about abortion but took it down as the reaction was getting out of control. Meanwhile on the AM show on Monday, host Ryan Bridge had condemned it with language that was gendered and not very classy. It wasn't his smartest move, was it? I mean, what a tit. And and this is after he'd said something about Matariki, I think the week before or whatever. Today FM's Duncan Garner, meanwhile, reckoned it was relevant for this reason. Simon O'Connor, he lives in a universe so far from mine, I can't believe he would post uh, that insult um, on social media. Great day, whatever it was. Uh, Read the room, pal. Read your party. Uh, Christopher Luxon needed to shoot him down, he did, but make no mistake, National is a way more conservative beast than Labour is. Uh, It's more than just tax cuts versus working for families, that's for sure. But in the end, his today FM colleague and former News Hub political editor Tova O'Brien was reassured by Luxon's stance and the power of political pragmatism. He's strategic and political and really, 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 really wants to be the Prime Minister. So I'm starting to take at face value his commitments not to relitigate the abortion debate. Frankly, there is no debate. And while there was lots of political noise, there was little real debate about abortion as a human right conflicting with the right to life and religious principles about that, or acknowledgement that while Duncan Garner, for example, condemned Simon O'Connor as living in a different universe, the MP's views aren't actually that outrageous to many other people. It was similar when there was an outbreak of outrage in 2019 over Kiwi-born, born-again Christian rugby star Israel Folau, who was condemned by media and sporting bodies for online comments of his own about homosexuality, even though those views were scarcely out of step with what might be said in many churches on any given Sunday.
The US Supreme Court decision shocked and upset many people, but it wasn't entirely unexpected, having been leaked to the media in the US last month, and it made headlines around the world back then as well. So it's a pity that the media didn't get their ducks in a row to cover the issue behind the controversy a little better in the meantime, while also giving the politicians a hard time for a similar failing. Mr Speaker, I'm excited to introduce uh, the Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media Bill today. The creation of this new entity will strengthen the delivery of New Zealand's public media services for future generations. That is our key objective, the public, uh, that public media in Aotearoa New Zealand is strong and that it endures. That was the recently appointed Minister of Broadcasting and Media, Willie Jackson, in Parliament last Thursday for the first reading of the Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media Bill, legislation setting out how the government's new public media entity will work, and it really has to work. If the bill passes, Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media will replace state-owned RNZ and TVNZ next year, and the government's committed more than $300 million to part-fund it already. So why are they doing this? Well, most nations have long-established joined-up public broadcasters operating on radio and television, and in recent times, online as well, offering a pretty comprehensive and consistent public service to their citizens. But not here in New Zealand. Thanks to decisions taken more than 30 years ago, we've ended up with a fully publicly funded but small radio broadcaster in RNZ and a publicly owned but highly commercial TV company in TVNZ. Both are making their own multimedia digital content as well and running their own online platforms for news, culture and entertainment. The new Minister of Broadcasting on Thursday also went on to say that the rise of online misinformation was another reason to boost public media to provide more reliable and accurate news. But like other Labour-led interventions in broadcasting this millennium, this one is being actively resisted by political rivals. In Parliament last Thursday, the National Party Broadcasting and Media spokesperson, Melissa Lee, said setting up Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media as an autonomous Crown entity made it susceptible to political influence. What an autonomous Crown entity actually means is that, I quote, it has to give regard to government policy when directed by the responsible minister. If that is the case, how will the public trust this new entity to be a step removed from government policy or the dictation by the ministers to do whatever they actually want the media to actually do. Melissa Lee is a member of the Parliamentary Select Committee that will scrutinise this bill, and last week the same committee also published the long-overdue report from its inquiry into the review of the Radio New Zealand Charter. Now in that, the National Party members of that committee said they feared that the new public media entity to come may mean the loss of the much-loved RNZ brand and character. But the National Party's Judith Collins, who's also on that committee, had little love for RNZ when she told Parliament last Thursday that government-funded media should blame themselves for a slump in public trust. That is actually a damning indictment on the fact that mainstream media has lost a lot of credibility, and particularly uh, during the last few years. It's... um, It has been incumbent on social media to provide alternative views. However, lately, it's not just opposition politicians who have been airing their suspicions about publicly funded media. But there remains deep suspicion from many over just how balanced too much of the fourth estate is or isn't. The $55 million journalism fund hasn't helped, 
a report already done into that, raised a fair number of questions. So as these two major players are joined together in a not-for-profit, heavily publicly funded sort of way, you are quite right to ask whether they will be increasingly expected to be beyond reproach when it comes to the old no fear, no favour. That was Mike Hosking on his breakfast show on News Talk ZB last Monday. There, Mike Hosking referred to a report raising questions about the Public Interest Journalism Fund, the government initiative that puts $55 million over three years into journalism jobs and training at a range of media outlets. Last year, the consultancy company Sapira did conclude there was no strong case for public funding of content in commercial media. And the consultants themselves didn't conclude that public funding of public interest journalism had created any pro-government bias or made our media more compliant. Now, the Public Interest Journalism Fund was the work of previous Broadcasting Minister Chris Farfoy, who committed himself to helping out struggling commercial news media as soon as he got the job in late 2018. The following year, the planning for the new public media entity got underway behind closed doors. It now falls to Willie Jackson to promote and defend the government's big media plans. In last week's select committee hearing, he told his National Party counterpart Melissa Lee he has no problem with debating in the media. I really uh, embrace people who want to have a debate. You know, I've spent my life debating people on radio and TV. And over the years, on and off the air, Willie Jackson has certainly clashed with people and agencies he'll now have to get along with as the minister in charge. Just five years ago, Willie Jackson was still a daily talkback host at the MediaWorks former talk network Radio Live. Willie Jackson and Alison Moore. As you know, with Robertson, he's done his time, you know, and they have the strong factions within that party. And if it's ever going to be his time, it's got to be now, doesn't it? His talkback career survived a suspension in 2013, after which his co-host John Tamahedi was sacked over a now-notorious interview with a young woman who'd encountered teenage sexual predators who called themselves the Roastbusters. How, how free and easy are you kids these days out there? Like, you were 14, yeah? 15, yeah, I think I was about 15. 15 when you, when you first had sex? Oh, no. Advertisers started pulling out of Radio Live and, awkwardly, Willie Jackson ejected a frequent guest on the show for criticising them. Shut, Shut your mouth, or you'll, be, or you'll be out of the studio Good, I'm out of here. Right, get out, then. I'm out of here. Get out. No. All right? Nighttime talk on Radio hey, Live. Now, Matthew Hooten was also a regular guest in earlier years on Willie Jackson's publicly funded TVNZ Māori issues show Eye to Eye, where discussions could get a bit eye for an eye. He said that I was a cheat, a liar and a fraud. Well, you are. And he's well, going to be sued view. for that because I'm oh, just not going to get away view. with that. Willie Jackson was also unafraid of taking on fellow broadcasters on Radio Wātea. In 2015, Willie Jackson claimed journalists Mihinarangi Forbes and Annabel Lee Mather had leaked information about Māori television to, in Willie's words, Pākehā reporters after the pair left the broadcaster the year before. The Broadcasting Standards Authority eventually upheld a complaint against him for that and said that the response to the complaint showed a lack of understanding of broadcasting standards. Because while broadcasters usually just cop it when they get pinged by the official watchdog, Radio Wata claimed the BSA is less effective for addressing Māori issues. So how does the current media laws protect Māori news views and stories and how will Māori ensure protection under current standards online? Now at that time, Willie Jackson was also the chief executive of Wātea's owner, the Manuka Urban Māori Authority, which had earlier supplied Wātea news bulletins to RNZ for years. And when RNZ ended its contract for those back in 2011, citing budget cuts and the desire to build its own Māori news capability, Willie Jackson called RNZ a disgrace. They got rid of Māori language news, 
They got rid of Mana News. They got rid of Wati News. Then they got rid of their own news. And now all we have is we're reliant on Pākehā announcers because there's no Māori on the front line. Five years later, as chair of the Iwi Radio Network Group Te Whakaruruho, he compiled an audit of RNZ's output claiming Māori content made up only 1% of it. Now, this wasn't a sound survey. It only harvested audio and news available online, and it missed, for example, two Te Ahika documentaries made in Northland by Media Watch's own Jeremy Rose, who ended up in the middle of a spirited debate on Media Watch at the time between Willie Jackson and Carol Hirschfeld, then RNZ's most senior Māori executive. You kicked the language off the year just, five years ago. Again, I want to hear our language on the year. I don't want to educate Jeremy and your Pakia journalists here with regards Why to today. It's Why not my you? responsibility, Why Carol. wouldn't you? Now, at that time, RNZ did accept it had little Māori journalism and few Māori staff, and it followed up with a strategy signalling a long-term commitment to Māori news journalism and te reo soon after. Another significant media role Willie Jackson held at that time was on Te Pūtei Pāho, which represented stakeholders in Māori television. In 2016, he was also appointed to the body that took over that responsibility, Tamatawai, giving iwi more say in Māori language initiatives. And at the time, Labour MP Pini Henare complained that Willie Jackson's roles in the media could create conflicts of interest, but not according to Willie Jackson, who said the claims were a waste of time. Willie Jackson also told Māori TV there, tell Pini to focus on his own job because many people want his seat. Now just one year later, both of them were MPs in the new Labour-led government, which required Willie Jackson to relinquish his Māori media roles, but not his opinions about Māori broadcasting. As Associate Māori Development Minister, Willie Jackson came out strongly against Larry Parr, the chief executive of the Māori Broadcasting Funding Agency Tamangai Pāho, when he floated a one-stop shop for Māori broadcast news back in 2018. I'm not sure if he remembers the history, and I'm not sure if he knows what he's doing, actually. Uh, I'm on record of saying, hang on, how come Pākehā got all the uh, news bulletins and Māori always have to rationalise them? And that got awkward when a Māori media review fired up by Māori Development Minister at the time, Nanaia Mahuta, backed that idea of centralising Māori news production, training and funding. Now, after the 2020 election, Willie Jackson became the Minister of Māori Development himself, scrapping his predecessor's plan and appointing a brand new group of media advisers to start again. And back in March, he told Radio Watea he'd resign if the merger of RNZ and TVNZ didn't also benefit Māori. We want to see our people hear our people in mainstream, uh, and that shouldn't take anything away from what we do in terms of a Māori sense, in terms of Māori TV and Māori radio. I, I'd resign if that was the case, because I, I didn't support a public media structure for the death of Māori broadcasting. That's just nonsense. Now, in the past, public broadcasting and Māori media have overlapped, but developed separately, with parallel authority, funding and accountability, in part to ensure that Māori media remains independent and autonomous. But now Willie Jackson's the minister overseeing both the funding of Māori media and the creation of the new public media entity. So how will the two jobs dovetail? This week I asked Willie Jackson. But first, what will Aotearoa New Zealand public media deliver that RNZ and TVNZ today cannot? Uh, RNZ's been terrific through the years. Of course, I've been a critic of different aspects of it. Uh, but, you know, there's groups who are missing out. We want to attract 
obviously more Māori, Pacifica, Asians, youth, and, and I think that uh, a new entity could perhaps do that. I certainly and always have believed in the type of model that we're envisaging. You know, I know they're sceptics. Funny enough, mate, I, uh, I ran into a former broadcasting minister, I won't say what party or who, and um, he wasn't too uh, um, optimistic about it in terms of, uh, you know, the different... You know, the different drivers, I suppose. National radio has, uh, you know, non-commercial and TVNZ has commercial. And he said to me, oh, no, I don't think it'll work. Is there anything in this legislation that actually protects one culture swamping the sure. other? Sure. You know, there, there's a bit to worry about. I mean, as I, I, but I said to the minister, this former minister, do you believe in it? Do you believe in the principle? He said, absolutely. I think you need the right type of leadership. I, I think you need a, a cultural change. I want Māori listening to national radio. I, I'm probably one of the only Māori I know who, you know, and I know a lot of people, there's very few who listen to national radio. I want more Pacifica listening. This, I want Asians listening. I, oh, I want no, we, young we can, people. We can talk about that, but that yeah. specific issue of having, this is a public service, yeah, right. not-for-profit thing, yeah. but it's going to have commercial revenue. That's right. The, the fact that you had a highly commercial television company that's going sure. to be the bigger partner of this thing, is it protected in the legislation? Because well, I can't kind of see it. It explicitly says RNZ's non-commercial, yeah. but it doesn't reference TVNZ's so we've, commercial we've, status. Well, we've got a committee. You know, It's going to go into committee stage. There's going to be a lot of things. So the law out. might change? Yeah, well, I think a number of things might change. I mean, I read our great mate Gavin Ellis's scepticism last night. I thought, geez, Gavin, you won't be going on the establ- on the on the board, but, uh, you know, no, he might, who knows, <laughs> but, but I don't know. But, you know, this is one of it. No, to be fair to him, he's, a, he's been quite an advocate for this, but he's got all this scepticism about independence and, uh, you know, the commercial, you know, what are they going to do to to protect the commercial side? I think that once you get your board in place, they'll work it all out. It's the establishment board also will work will work things out. If yes, we've, it's already come in the Broadcasting Act in terms of editorial independence and will strengthen that up, no doubt, because editorial independence is everything. New Zealand has got nothing to worry about. I, I, I think the, the new entity is, is exciting, but it's not going to be an easy road. I don't, look, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Gavin at all. He's a, you know, he's a supporter. But we're not going to get every single thing right. Yeah, what yeah. he was pointing out in his piece, I think, yeah. was here we have, you know, we've been told that this thing is going to be more than just yeah. a merger of yeah. two existing yeah. broadcasts. Yeah. This yeah. is a new entity. Yeah. He's saying this legislation looks very much like just a merger. The rest of it's still to come from yeah. the management yeah. we don't yeah. even know. Yeah. Uh, there will be no editorial stranglehold or whatever. He shouldn't worry about that, you know. The entity is set up like our other entities are set up. Why do we have to set up that entity like that? Because we've got considerable taxpayers' money going into it. What he wanted was an independent entity. You can't be doing that if you're putting a couple of hundred million a year into an entity and go, well, you know, where you go, just do it. You've got to set it up like we've got uh, Totafiti. You know, like we've got Tamangai Pahu, like we've got New Zealand on air, and those entities have no problems criticising this government. Yeah, but uh, they, they, no, no, but hold those on. are broadcasting had, agencies. And, and, these, and these are broadcasting. This is supposed to be an independent no, media well, outlet. Well, no, they're independent. The, the ministers have all, always have to come back through APH and come back through Cabinet. This is not one one person who do, makes a decision. You yourself, you're Minister of Māori Development as well as Minister yeah. of Broadcasting. That's a first. Look, in the past, Māori media have developed pretty much separately, separate uh, lines of authority to protect their autonomy. Now you're the Minister of both. Is this going to change as the public media outlet develops? Absolutely. And I think that was one of the worst things about Māori broadcasting and we should be lo- looking to utilise... Um, our resources. We should be looking at utilising the talent. Um, there's so much that Māori 
broadcasting can bring to um, mainstream broadcasting without having, you know, it's not about you becoming fluent in the language or being some expert on the treaty, not at all. It's about um, influencing and, and perhaps giving Parkour broadcasters perhaps a, a wider perspective, uh, the, the mainstream audience a better perspective. So uh, is, in essence, the, you're expecting more Māori programming on mainstream yeah. As, if, if we're going to call it that. Do you know uh, how much Māori programming is on there now? Do you know how much is on your national radio now? Couldn't give you numbers, no. 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 But but I'm, pr- I'm pretty good at numbers, as, okay. you, as you guys remember. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did an audit on you guys uh, yeah, we'll, a few we'll, years ago. We'll talk ago. about that in a minute. But in terms of this legislation, let's look at it another way. So the legislation does say that the board of Aotearoa Public, yeah. New Zealand Public Media, sure. must have two members Māori. With, yeah. who are Māori and yeah. have tikanga yeah. expertise, te expertise. Yes. What difference is that going to make specifically in terms of what people get at home from this new public entity? On the board? Well, that's going to, they're going to get a Māori, at least they'll have a couple of people who know the Māori world uh, implicitly, know it really well. We've had too many boards in this country, whether it was National Picking Them or Labour, where we've had so few Māori on it. So you'll be picking these The two Māori ones. I I will be picking the two Māori ones, but obviously in consultation with, uh, with my teams. You so know? one of them highly likely to be, say, Dr. Jim Mather, former chief executive of Whakata well, Māori and currently... Jim is probably going to be right up there in terms of a possibility. But um, while I, as I you know, this uh, nonsense that, oh, it would be just Willie Jackson, why would it be just me? Do you think I have an associate? Do you think I have a minister of finance? Sometimes things on, in writing you know, might be specific, but I, I don't always think that, that um, common sense should prevail, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Don't you think? Well, sure, but what I'm interested in is how that might change the services that people get. Okay, um, well, it might change and, and what the new public media. Oh, well, that's a good office. question. Yeah. Well, at at the moment, you don't have a, a strong Maori per- perspective that comes through, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I mean, the the cabinet paper way back at the start of this says, you know, the new entity has a critical role in promoting Maori interests, Mataranga Maori, Maori culture, protecting uh, Te Reo Maori as a taonga. So it's in the new legislation. As we know from just this public interest journalism fund, yes. which is a relatively small part of it, oh. it's created all this noise. Opponents saying, ah, look, you know, that's the government creating media content which promotes partnership and tatiriti principles mm. and, you know, a truly free, uh, editorially free broadcaster shouldn't adhere to these conditions. All these arguments are going to come up again, aren't they, as this legislation goes through Parliament? Well, that's not an editorial restriction. Editorial editors will make their own decisions, but we have to make decisions as a government, and we want to see particularly a public broadcaster adhere to what's been in, what's in place in society, we're not uh, we're not at all saying everybody. Ha- I mean, I would never ask that everyone be ex- experts on the treaty or speak Maori or, or anything like that. All we're saying is let's have uh, as as the treaty partner let let's acknowledge that and at least have a couple of people on there at board level. And my hope, of course, is that there'll be a flow on that. There'll be Maori managers. There'll be Maori programs um, a- in prime time. You know, that's that's one's hope. We haven't had that for many years, uh, Colin. So the Māori Media Sector Shift Review, that got underway in 2018 under your predecessor uh, as Māori Development Minister. Um, we still haven't seen it. Is it? What's happened? So it's, all, it's all done and uh, it's in front of officials right now and you'll get it before the end of August. So um, is that going to be a big strategic change for, for Māori media? Yes, it is. I had my own views uh, on the uh, Māori media 
as you well know, mm-hmm. and you would you would have heard those. And in yes. fact, I'm sure you've played those, Colin. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is a, 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 quite a shift, and it's a, a shift that'll be positive for mainstream media. We want mainstream to recognise some of the fabulous work in in terms of Māori media. Māori is Māori media going to be organised in a different way for Kata Māori, Māori Television, Te Whakaruruho uh, 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 and the, uh, and the yeah, Indian radio uh, uh, groups? I think What's going to change? Uh, uh, there'll, there'll be some changes there, and I don't want, uh, you know, you'll see it all um, before the end of August because it's got to go through Cabinet too. So, uh, yeah, no, you're right to point out it was uh, it started in 2018, but then you had a new minister, didn't you? And the new minister had different ideas, as you well know. So you've got a, clearly a different view from your predecessor think, as minister. Yeah. But also for your predecessor as broadcasting minister, Chris Farfoy, he decided on getting the job that supporting media broadly was pretty important. He was worried about plurality. And so the Public Interest Journalism Fund, the $55 million, that's gone out to a range of media companies that haven't had public funding before. Yeah. Got a lot of political blowback from people who think that's a way of buying compliance from the media, that uh, the, the, the media won't bite the government hand that's feeding them. Mm. That runs out in 2023. Is it going to carry on under your ministership? One of the groups we, we um, I think, they gave funding to was Annabelle uh, Lee and Mihi Forbes who are running um, uh, training in terms of um, Māori broadcasters. Do you ever think they'd cut us any slack? Oh, you, no, you'll, you'll recall they put me in front of the Broadcasting Standards Authority uh, a few years ago. That's nothing I'm concerned about, but is it going to continue? So so that's not on the books at the moment, but it's it's done terrific in terms of uh, supporting communities who have been affected in terms of what's happening with the media, you know? Do you believe privately owned media companies, not public media do need that kind of assistance? Do you think they're still vulnerable in the way your predecessors seem to think? And that yeah, was one I, I think the if they're doing public interest journalism, then I have no problem supporting going down that track. And, I, uh, and I, I don't think for one moment that they're spokespeople for the government, you know? You keep quoting the, the critics. They, they're critics of you. They think you're oh, all... Oh, just because they think they might be influencing the government. <laughs> right. they, think you know. you're all, they think you're all lefties. You know, this sort of nonsense that comes in. Oh, no, uh, I'm familiar with it, but I wonder whether it will have an influence on the yeah, government. No, no, well, because I think you have to give um, media the opportunity, and uh, I don't ask for any favours other than fairness. Hey, back in 2020, RNZ ran into a big problem when... They wanted to use resources currently devoted to RNZ Concert to mm. create a new youth network, specifically in part to attract the underserved audience that RNZ doesn't really get uh, at the moment, younger people, Māori Pacifica, uh, urban Auckland, for example. That ran into trouble because the backers of RNZ Concert, who enjoyed that service and had done for many years, wanted to make sure it was retained. The youth service has not happened. Do you want Aotearoa New Zealand public media to do this post-2023? Well, of course, I'm not the person who'll make the decisions, so I will we'll always leave that to the board, development board or the board, to, to make those types of decisions, not for me to tell them what to do. Seems a logical way to go, though, particularly... Well, why isn't it in the law, then? Shouldn't it be it, in the legislation it, 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 that, that, that such an entity is created for the specific purpose? Why isn't it there? But... Just coming back, I do think it's a logical way to go. There's a process or a natural way to go, given that youth audience and what it's missing out on. So this is not perfect law, but, but you know, we want to get in, sit down with the experts, the critics, and our people will, will nut this out. If we get it right, you know, who knows? We might be able to get our own uh, uh, set up like Ireland, like Britain, like Australia. It could be a, a, an opportunity of a lifetime, and um, I'm determined to ship it at three. Okay, so to do that, as you say, you have to sit down with, with critics and colleagues yeah, and so on. Sure. Now, in the past, uh, when you weren't the minister, of course, you were an advocate for 
Māori broadcasting, but you've rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. You've called organisations out. Now you're a minister, you're going to have to do things a bit differently, or is it going to be hard to resist the urge to to force broadcasters to do things? I'm not going to change my style one little bit, Colin. Uh, You know, my style is one of being clear and being upfront. I like to be uh, respectful, believe it or not, and conciliatory with people. That's how I generally like to operate, you know. I, I enjoy debate. But sometimes you have to go to war. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to challenge. Well, you mentioned that audit where you compiled, uh, you analysed RNZ's That's output. Right. After that, uh, you know, RNZ did launch a Māori strategy. What was interesting about that was your response. I mean, you said, look, Amy Adams, the broadcasting minister at the time, should lean on RNZ's board and make sure they do more. This isn't good enough. You know, said they've got a colonialist mindset, need to change. She should be talking to the board of RNZ and forcing change. Now, mm. that's an interesting attitude to authority that you want to well, get a minister to lean on. I mean, would, you wouldn't want anyone now coming to you and well, no, telling no, you to yeah, RNZ no, I wouldn't mind at all because if you're an advocate, you only get change and if you challenge uh, uh, ministers or you change government. I've been an advocate m- most of my working life, not just for Māori, but for working class people, Pākehā people. I was a union official for 17 years. I was in a different role then. Yeah, yeah, and, sure. and of course, you do anything and everything you can to get change, you know. I didn't think I was going to be the broadcasting minister one day uh, and now I'm the broadcasting minister, I would welcome challenges to me. But but you asked me about style. My style won't change. Your, your CEO, who I talked to earlier, is someone who I challenged. Uh, and I told him National Radio wasn't doing the job. You don't have any Māori presenters in, in, in your prime time hours. You haven't had them for 100 years. You need to make some change. He has tried. That's all I ask in the end. And uh, he's a good man. And him and I got an MOU going with Iwi Radio. You challenge and then you try and work constructively with the system. I'm driven by a sense of justice and equity, you know, and not just for Māori, for people right across the spectrum, Pākehā, Pacifica. Uh, as I said, I enjoyed Matariki so much. You know, it, was, uh, it shows that Māori can work in, in our community. But I don't want to ram Māori stuff down people's throats. So, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful, can I just add, hearing all the different Pākehā people giving Māori a crack on national radio. Well done, Paul, and national radio in terms of that. I really congratulate him. Still got a few challenges, though. We still got to get... The, the actual challenge was about Māori programming mm-hmm. and Māori staff. We're not there yet. Let's try and work constructively so we can change that. If RNZ is experiencing uh, parts of its audience saying, we don't actually like this, there are separate Māori media where that yeah. people can hear today. What do you want the broadcaster to, to do about that, Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media from 2023? Ignore them. Because, uh, you know, the reality is this is a changing New Zealand. And more and more Kiwis are getting on this. Well, uh, and I think that's great. Our culture, our language is for everyone. And uh, they'll never change, some of those people. But you look at these young Kiwis, young Pākehā kids who embrace the language, the culture, the haka. I think it's fabulous. And when I hear Pākehā announcers, Guy, um, Guy and Corin and Susie and them saying, Ngā mihi o and Ngā mihi kia koutou katoa, I, I think it's wonderful, you know. And you've got to remember that when they use the Māori language, it's what? Be lucky if it's 1% of their total language on national radio. Why is that so offensive? If people are offended by that, you can't do nothing about it. would pay to ignore them, get on with the job, which uh, in general uh, the station continues to do really well. Uh, you mentioned young Kiwis. Your own son is in the media himself, isn't he, Hikarangi? He's a TV producer. Uh, has he chosen a good career? I was trying to get him to think about politics, to tell you the truth. But uh, he says, Dad, I love this uh, TV. And he's been brought up in media. He has been. He was with me from when he was very young. And, uh, 
you know, I'm really proud of the work he's doing. He had Sonny Bill on his show the other day, and I thought it was a. Fan. He turned the tables on him and oh, asked him about his own. That's right, but, <laughs> but you know, you got to relax these people up. You got to free them up. He told me Sonny came in and he was very standoffish, and and my my son showed him a, a photo of his his first child, and his partner's wife, and and. Uh, Sonny sort of just embraced it all, relaxed them, got the interview of uh, one of the greatest interviews Sonny's ever had, according to everyone. I like him to think about politics, but I I ain't got much chance of that, I don't think, Colin. That was Willie Jackson, the Minister of Broadcasting and Media and the Minister of Māori Development, who this week introduced to Parliament the bill to create Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media, the new entity to replace RNZ and TVNZ next year. And the Minister had plenty more to say, you can hear more of that, in the online version of the story that's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website under the heading, New Minister Takes Charge at a Pivotal Media Moment. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, though we'll be back with more on the media in Midweek Media Watch at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, and then back with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.